The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Amen. today as being our loving God and Heavenly Father. We thank you for this Lord's Day that you have made that we might gather as your people, the church, that our hearts might be encouraged as we proclaim the truth from our own lips as we sing praises to you, as we hear your word read and preached. And Lord, we pray that you would fill this house with your spirit today, that you would pour out your spirit upon your people that we might see and know and believe, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. And Lord, we join our hearts together with one voice as we pray out loud the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to look there. 
I'll begin by asking you, since this is a statement of faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance, dear children of God, from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Let's continue to worship now by turning in your hymnal to number 358 as we sing together for all the saints.
And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. so beautifully for us this morning in the call to worship. It was wonderful. I wanted to share some words with you this morning from a song and then also read a scripture passage to you in the book of Hebrews. This is one of my favorite hymns and it tells about the Lord Jesus and a special ministry that he has to you and to me as his covenant children. This is verse one of the hymn before the throne of God above. It says before the throne of God above I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. Can you guess who that great high priest is? Jesus? There's a few votes for Jesus. Everybody agree with that? It's the Lord Jesus. And from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, about the Lord Jesus being better than any earthly high priest, being better than any sacrifice that we could offer with our hands. This is what it says about the Lord Jesus. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There are some several important things about this verse. But one of the most important things for you to remember, and I hope that you remember today, is that it says the Lord Jesus saves those who come to God through him, And that he prays for you. Does anybody remember last week we talked about Peter? That Jesus said, I have prayed for your faith that it wouldn't fail. You know the Lord Jesus prays for your faith too. He prays that you would know that your sins are forgiven only in him. He prays for you that you would know your access to the Heavenly Father is only through him. And he prays for you that you would know and experience the power of his grace that you may be able to resist in any temptation to sin. All of us, every one of us, even on this special Lord's Day, have been tempted in many ways to sin, and maybe some of us have even given into that. And we have a faithful high priest, the Lord Jesus, who does intercede for us. He prays that your faith wouldn't fail, that you wouldn't fall away from the Lord, that you wouldn't think His promises aren't really for me anymore, I'm not good enough. You're absolutely not good enough, and neither am I. But the Lord Jesus won those promises for us. So I want to pray for your faith this morning as well. That you would know and trust and believe, not in yourself, not in anything in you, but in the Lord Jesus alone. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for our covenant children that you have blessed our families and our church family with. We thank you and praise you for each boy and girl sitting here this morning. And for those who weren't able to be here Lord, we thank you and praise you for adding to our number. Lord, we pray that you would bless our covenant children, that they would know you. At a young age, that they would cry out to you in faith. That they would make the faith they have heard at home and here at Lebanon their own. That they would cry out to you, Lord Jesus, and say, save me, a sinner. Lord, I pray for their faith, that they would know and not have doubts about your love for them. About the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus won for us by offering himself a sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that they have free access to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that even in moments when they are tempted to sin, that you provide special grace and power for them, that they might be able to resist and not give in to sin. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for these great and precious promises, and I pray, Lord, that our covenant children would know them in their hearts that they are true, because the Lord Jesus said it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, we're going to be reading together Psalm 126. Psalm 126 is on page 832 in the green hymnal. I'll begin by reading the light portion Uh, Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 126. This is the word of the Lord. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. 
Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, Let's continue to praise the Lord by turning to hymn number 644. We're going to sing together, May the Mind of Christ Our Savior. Let's stand together as we sing. family here this morning, and particularly related to uh, a question and answer in the Westminster Larger Catechism. I'm thinking about, and have been thinking about it this week, that we have a special privilege and a joy and delight to hear the Word of God. When we read the Bible, we're not reading another book. It's not like the newspaper or a great novel. It is God's revelation to His people. And especially on the Lord's Day, as we are here gathered as God's people, we have a responsibility and a privilege as we hear the Word of God that we would hear and believe it. So this is question number 160 from the Westminster Larger Catechism. It asks, what is required of those that hear the Word preached? It says it is required of those that hear the Word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the Scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the Word of God. Meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. I want to pray for us this morning as a church family and as God's people gathered before Him that the Lord would make His Word effectual to us, that He would help us in our our weakness where we might be distracted or where other things might be weighing heavy on our minds and our hearts. We come in here this morning not able to It would be wonderful if we could check all of our cares and concerns at the door. The things that have gone on this week, things that are still unsettled in our minds. And so I want to pray that the Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, would apply His Word to our hearts and that we would be able to attend unto it with all diligence and preparation. And now as we pray, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the goodness of this day that you have given us, one day in seven, to worship you together as your people, to occupy this day in thoughts and discussions and in the worship of the living God. We thank you and we praise you that we may gather as your people, your children, 
whom you say we belong to you because of your covenant and because of the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that that truth is from your word and it is rock solid. And I pray for us today, your people, all of us, men and women, boys and girls, that we would all by faith attend to the preaching and the hearing and the reading of the word of God with all diligence, that we might hide your word in our hearts, that it would be what we think of as we are tempted to sin, that your promises would be more beautiful to us, that the Lord Jesus would be high and lifted up. And Lord, I pray for your people here today. There are many things that are on the minds of everyone here. Prayers and concerns that they have for family, for situations that are going to go on this week, things that they weren't able to accomplish last week that they hope to see done at the end of this one. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our weakness to be able to set aside those cares and concerns, knowing that you are the one who cares for all of our needs. You are the one who provides. You are the one who solves our problems. And you are the one who provides sustaining grace for us to trust and to hope in you. Lord, I pray that your abiding presence by your spirit would be what helps us to be able to set those things aside. That it's not by our care and concern and worry that things are worked out. They are done according to your sovereign power in our lives. And Lord, I pray for your people today as we hear the gospel together, as we hear your word proclaimed, that it would be a comfort to our souls. We need the gospel. We need to see the Lord Jesus. We need your spirit in us that we would know and walk in the truth. And I pray, Lord, for each person here today that they would see the Lord Jesus as beautiful because of being in your presence and having a sense of your power with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I want to say a special thank you again to our children for singing for us this, this morning and leading us in our call to worship for our choir, for Callie and Chuck sharing your gifts with us. It is a wonderful thing to be able to sing the praises of the living God. He holds you fast. You are His people. And He cares for you. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Titus. We're going to begin reading in Titus chapter 2, verse 15, and read through Titus chapter 3, verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today we are continuing in our series that we began some weeks ago now on Titus. The series is entitled Ordinary Christian Living. And the sermon is entitled In Praise of Christian Virtue. If you still have your Bible, I want you to look over, just go back to chapter 2 for just a moment. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God that brings salvation is absolutely effectual for God's people. And according to Paul, what he's telling Titus is that it necessarily changes us. When the grace of God comes into the life of a sinner, it changes that sinner. It leads them into godly living. What they didn't love before, now they love. Who they didn't know before, the living God, they know Him and love Him. And this is true even for people like Cretans. Or you might say even people like Southerners or Northerners or those who are foreign to you. In Titus chapter 1, verse 12, you remember, Paul is telling this to Titus about people who were called, according to a prophet of their own, in Titus 1, verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you might think of another passage that Paul spoke about sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 2, he said, How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? That's what he's telling Titus to remind God's people of. That grace comes and changes people. They no longer have a desire to live in sin because God's grace has changed you. The way that you live at home, the way that you are at church, how you live and view the world in day-to-day society, the people that you see that you do business with, the people you buy from or the people that buy from you, those that you shake hands with and walk by, you see them differently. You don't see them the way you did before. God's grace changes you. I read a verse this morning to our covenant children from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says that He, the Lord Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, for He ever lives to make intercession for them. John Owen says, Christ will not bring about part of our salvation and leave what remains to ourselves or to others. Whatever belongs to our entire, complete salvation, He is able to effect it, and He does. Titus is a minister of the Gospel. Paul wrote this letter that he might be encouraged as a minister. In verse 15 it says to speak these things. Not just preaching, but speaking into the lives of God's people who God has placed in His path. And I humbly want to tell you this morning that this is something that even your pastor needs your prayers for significantly. That the Word of God would be preached. But also that there would be courage and boldness and love for God's people. That in the moments and times that we have together, that we would speak the words of life together. That there wouldn't be a denial of the truth, a fear of man or anything else that would cause me, your pastor, to not be willing to speak truth. Even if it might seem inconvenient to you, or even if you might not like it. 
Sometimes we need to hear things in the Word of God that go against our own minds, the way that we think. And I say this humbly because I'm, as a prayer request, not as something to say, well, you need to hear me. I read question 160 from the larger catechism this morning. Not so that you would look at me, but that so you would know the seriousness with which it is to come and do business with the living God Sunday in and Sunday out. We don't just read a book. We read the Bible. And it's as if the Word of God is His Word to you, and it is, and He is speaking to you. So I ask for your prayers, not for me only, but for you yourself, that you would hear the Word of God as they are spoken to you, that you would receive them as life. Titus says that in praise of... Excuse me, Apostle Paul says to Titus that in praise of Christian virtue, there are three things in these verses that we should notice and point out. The believer who has been touched by God's grace, who has salvation in Jesus Christ, has a new allegiance, number one, a new mindset, number two, and lastly, number three, a new identity. So number one, a new allegiance. He's, he or she is under a new authority. Well, what is that authority? Some today would tell you, well, it's actually you. Look in the mirror. You are the measure of all things. And by you, things stand or fall. Our culture tells us that. And there are even some in the church who say, you are the measure of all things. You should understand truth for what it is based on your own experience. But for the believer, for a Christian, one who says he has tasted or she has tasted the grace and the goodness of God, your new allegiance is not to yourself. You shouldn't be true to yourself. The Bible is clear in many places that you shouldn't trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, Proverbs chapter 3. Tell us, don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord in all things. Don't trust in yourself. Your allegiance is not to you. You're not trying to please others anymore. Some people will say, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I've had enough of what it means to be under authority. I don't want any more of it. I'm looking out for me. And I'm throwing off any of the expectations that you might have for me. Because those aren't for me. I am finding out who I am in this life. And no more is it going to be how you define me. And that's an interesting way to live. It's basically saying that I know exactly what it is to be truth. And to know truth. And there's nothing that you or the church or anyone else can say that has any authority over my life. And Paul is saying there has to be a new allegiance in the believer's life. There has to be. And that new allegiance has to be to the Word of God. Your conscience and my conscience must be bound to follow the Word of God. We can't follow ourselves. And that's why, even in our own denomination, when a minister is called to a church, it says that the congregation will take a vow to receive the Word of God in the sermons that are preached, as they are the Word of God, to receive them with meekness and love. We heard that this morning in question 160 in the larger catechism. It means that in God's Word, God is speaking to you. You have to have allegiance to it. As Christians, you must. You must obey it. You must hide it in your heart. It is His Word. He does speak to you. Puritan Thomas Watson said, if you reject a sermon because there is a man preaching it, you are also rejecting the Word of God and rejecting Him. You may say, well, that's, that's just your words. You're talking about the, the Word of God. It's not really the Bible. But according to our tradition, a sermon that is preached based on the Word of God, including the Word of God and not man's opinions, is the Word of God to you. Not my words, but His. His words to you are life. It also says here in this passage that there's to be a new mindset, number two. That you and I, in our minds, have been transformed by grace. And we are captive to the Word of God. As you think about this, you should be able to say, and you do say, my life in every sphere is a witness to the saving power of the Gospel. And Lord, I pray today that I wouldn't give the enemy any ground in my witness for you, in the way that I live, the way that I think, the way I deal with others, in how I live my life. May the enemy not receive any ground back because of me. And I don't mean that you should focus on you, but that you should actually think about, use your mind, think about the way that you live and how others see you. This was an important thing for Paul. 
Because he wanted the believers in Crete to know that they were living before people who were liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And so there was a Christian witness on the island of Crete and he wanted to be sure that people were not confused about who the Christians were with who the Cretans were. These people had a new mindset. He says in verse 1, they're to be good citizens, subject to rulers and authority, those who obey and ready to do every good work. To be a good citizen means that they're to be conscientious and have heartfelt submission to the rulers and authorities that are in place, giving no indication of any type of sedition that could hinder the gospel proclamation and progress. It is to be from our hearts that we submit to authority. Not just saying, well, they're the the earthly rulers and I'll pay my taxes or I'll I'll obey the, the speed limit or the stop signs, but I'm not really going to put my heart into it. I'm a citizen of heaven. And yet Paul is saying that you should have heartfelt submission, that it should come from the same heart that says, I received grace from God, I'm a part of his family, and this is part of the order of the world that he has made, and so I should subject myself. I should do it willingly and wholeheartedly as an act of worship to the Lord. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That means even if you have an evil ruler, even if you have an an evil councilman or councilwoman, an evil governor or an, an evil representative, that you are to submit yourself to them as long as they are not calling you to do anything that would be against your conscience or against the Word of God, you are to find every way possible to obey and delight in obeying because it's an authority that God has put in place. He also says that you're to be ready for every good work where you are in the sphere of influence that God has placed you. Of all people in society, if you were to look at the different makeups of people, Christians ought to be the ones who are eager to serve their fellow men and women, to see needs of other people, other human beings made in the image of God, and to want to meet them. This is not specifically a section in this letter about how to treat one another in the church. This is about seeing other people as human beings that have value and worth, not because of what they give to us or what they might do for us, but because simply they were made in the image of God by our Creator. And they are due honor and worth and esteem because God made them. Of all people, we should see that and it should be clear in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. This was God's word to Israel who had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. He's saying, pray for Babylon. And you might say, well, that seems backwards. Why wouldn't I pray for God's people? Why would I pray for the peace of Babylon? But he's saying, in it you will have peace. But he's also saying that this is where I sent you. And some of you are sent every day to places that are dark and cold and closed off to the gospel. And he's saying, pray for the peace of that place that you are. Influence for good because of the goodness of God where you are. You shouldn't think, well, one day I'll go somewhere that God will place me that I can go and rejoice and be thankful. He's saying, do that right where you are now. You may be the only light that some people ever see. You may be, your life may be the only gospel that some people see. Are they seeing the Lord Jesus? Are they seeing love and care and compassion and concern for other people? And you might say, well, wait a minute, preacher, I've got a question. What about Acts chapter 5, verse 29? Where Paul says, or excuse me, where Peter and John say, this is after the altercation we looked at last week in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are hauled back in front of the council again. And Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so, what about that, preacher? You're saying we ought to obey the rulers and authorities, that we we ought to obey the laws even if they're given to us by people who are evil, who don't love God, who don't care about His Word, you're saying we should obey. Yes, according to God's Word, you should. Jesus asked, take out a coin and look at it, whose picture is on it. Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. Certainly it is by far the exception. 
I'm not saying that I don't think in our day there might be a time when civil disobedience will absolutely be required. It may be. I pray that I don't see it. For my own sake, maybe a a little bit of fear in me, and maybe even for my own children, what it would be like to really exercise civil disobedience for the name of Christ. I pray I never see it, but I also pray for the grace to be able to do it before the Lord that I would make the right decisions, that I would uphold the truth of the Gospel. And I pray that for you too. That we would stand together, side by side, for the sake of the Gospel. Not for my rights or what I do, but for the sake of the Gospel, that the name of the Lord Jesus would go forward. He says that not only are we to be good citizens in this new mindset, we're also to be good neighbors. In verse 2, he speaks very specifically. He says, Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. You and I as believers are to be so gracious that people are glad for us to move next door or to join the company as we take on a new role in our jobs. We are to be so gracious that they are glad we're there. And he gives four specific things that you're not to do as a believer. He says, don't speak evil of other people. Avoid the temptation to slander or engage in malicious gossip. And this is an awful thing. It destroys relationships. It dishonors God. It harms our witness when we engage in harsh condemnation of other people. And remember, he's he's not just talking about people inside the church. Certainly it ought not to be going on in the church. But he's saying something that distinguishes you as a Christian citizen wherever God has placed you, is that you speak evil of no one. Avoiding that temptation to not join in with other people. And I want to ask you, if these people that God has placed you around are there and you are to witness to them, how can you show them room for grace in their own lives if you participate in harsh condemnation of other people who are fallen? If you join in the same way as others do? He also says to be peaceable. That you're to have a kind of disposition where you know, because you are at peace with God and at war with sin, that you are on the offensive against the attacks of the enemy who loves strife and division and discord by being the first person to apologize and the first person to seek reconciliation. And this one is a tough one because, again, he's talking about people outside of the church. That the way that you are distinguished as a Christian is how you live peaceably with other people who are not Christians and who are on the offensive in a different way. You are living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven while you are passing through in this world. And he says to be peaceable. You be the one that seeks forgiveness. If because of your own sinful passions something has happened between you and someone else. And that's hard. You are approaching someone on the basis of grace that you have received who maybe hasn't. But it says we're to do that. We're to live peaceably with other people as far as it depends on you, he says in another place. Be at peace with all men. Sometimes that's not possible. We live in a fallen world. You may do everything that you can and there may still be breaches in relationships. You can't carry guilt because of that. But you must do, according to God's Word, its authority in our lives. You must do everything that you can everything that you can to reconcile relationships. Lastly, he says, you're to be gentle and having all humility for all people. It means that you're to show the tender strength of Jesus, giving precedence to other people, setting aside your own rights while trusting in God. This one seems to me to be one of the hardest things to do in this passage. Not that any of them are easy, but this has to be one of the hardest things because it's an inclination by God's grace in His people, to yield our own personal advantages and rights that we might have that are due us, that would be right for anyone else to assert. He's saying that we should have an inclination to yield our own personal advantage to express help and consideration of others. That we should have a patient trust in the midst of difficult circumstances and be prepared to patiently bear with wrong done to us while acting quickly to alleviate what is done wrongfully to others. Not immediately arguing, or the first thing that comes to mind, well, this is my right, or this is my preference, or my place, 
And I have the right to say it just like anyone else would. He's saying that something in you changes when the grace of God changes your heart and you have a desire to defend other people and not so quickly say, I need to defend myself. I look at that and I think about it. He says, give all humility, showing all humility to all people. It's the Greek word perfect, meaning for everyone, without any respect of persons. It's not difficult to show some courtesy to some people, right? Especially if they're kind to you or good to you. If they're well-mannered, if they say yes ma'am or yes sir, or they open a door. But what he's saying here is not treating people well who treat you well. He's saying to show all mildness to all people. And even those people who in society might be called evil beasts, liars, and lazy gluttons. It's absolutely an impossible assignment apart from God's grace. We can't do that. And I'm, I'm still coming back to in my mind that this is something we're to be doing with the outside world. And when I say outside world, I mean those who do not name the name of Christ. Those who we would say, according to God's Word, are enemies of the cross of Christ and enemies of the church. And isn't it interesting, and this is not meant to be guilt or preaching down to anyone, but isn't it interesting that some of these things we so much need in the church. And yet, he's calling Titus to remind God's people, be sure that you live this way with people outside the church. We need grace in here to love one another as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. But we also need grace to show the Lord Jesus and His love and compassion to other people. It's why He said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. He was calling her to faith. He was calling her to leave a life of sin. And He did it in such a way that those who wanted to condemn her left. And the one who had the right, the eternal right to condemn her in her sin said, I don't condemn you. Can you say that apart from grace in your life to other people who might hate you? Who might hate the church or hate the Lord Jesus? Hate everything that you stand for? Is it possible to do that in your own strength? I say no. The Lord Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. You can't. You won't love other people the way that you should apart from His grace. Either in the church, in your home, or out in the world. And he's saying there are eternal things at risk when we think about life not thinking this way. Because we hurt the name of Christ in the eyes of some people with the way that we live. Now I certainly, absolutely, the Lord is sovereign. He will draw people to Himself however He will and however He chooses. And He may even do it through imperfect people like you and me who mess up and sin. Who don't do exactly what Paul is saying here. But absolutely, I pray for each of us. I pray for myself that we would all be instruments in the Master's hand, that we would be those who are useful to Him in the kingdom, calling His people to Himself. So He says you're to have a new allegiance, a new mindset, and lastly, a new identity. From a place of humility where He's called us to, that we are increasingly grateful for God's grace in our lives. And I think this is where our memory even though it may fade as our hairs turn gray and white. This is where our memory helps us. This is where our memory calls us back to to the cross, calls us back to Christ. He says to remember that you once lived this way. You have to remember that as you interact with other people who are fallen. I have to remember I was once without Christ. That was me. What I see them living in, what I see them loving, what I see them hating, what I see them throwing themselves to, that was me, I remember. It wasn't that I was just a little bit bad or that I needed a little bit of help. I was an enemy of the living God. I was a slave to my sinful desires, unable to free myself from the bondage of evil. I deserved death and hell forever, separation from God. And Jesus came and brought grace to me. And by His grace, I am saved. And that's the only reason He allows me into heaven. It's the only reason I can pray and He hears me. It's the only reason I can rejoice and sing Amazing Grace because He called me. 
and I was once what I see in other people. It should cause your heart to break. I see what they're doing. They're not breaking God's law. They're breaking themselves over His laws. His law is perfect and sure and right and true. And it does not change. It doesn't change with the passage of time. It doesn't change with who's in political office. It doesn't change with the feelings of my heart. The Word of God stands forever. And you see people around you and it it should change you. Because you have been touched by God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul reminds the Ephesians, you were once far off. You were outside of the covenant promises. You were without hope and without God in the world. You were stuck in the world system that says, you need to figure it out. You have rights. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. And if anybody gets in your way, run over them. They are a means to an end. No, we can't think about life that way anymore. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus' own words. So you see people who are steeped in sin. Their entire life is consumed with it. And you have to know they are on their way to hell and they are loving it. They hate the living God. It should cause your heart to have the compassion of Jesus because you know I was there once. Whether it was money or power or alcohol or pleasure or my ego, our will was leashed to a desire that controlled us and we had no control over it. While we chose to sin, we did not possess the ability to do otherwise. And really, I think this is one of the things that our culture needs. The result was not the secular humanist paradise that we thought it might be if we just got rid of God and got Him out of our lives. Life would just be better. Do you remember the song? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below. We'll all just be one people and love one another. If that's true, then the last 40 or 50 years should have been some of the most wonderful times in the history of this nation because we've thrown God away. But it's not true. You cannot remove the Creator and expect for the creation to work the way He designed it to. It won't. We live in a world that is full of hatred and pain and shocking violence and abuse. And any turn into the newspaper will show you that. Look at social media anywhere else. And for some of us, look in our own families. It is shocking the way that people treat one another. And what he's saying is, For you as a Christian, be careful with your words and be careful with your judgment of others. And think about the way that you speak about the world. Rather than resent and slander unbelieving leaders, educators in the media, and people in the entertainment industry, and rather than becoming incensed and venomous in our attacks on the immoral agendas of various organizations and movements, we should remember that we also were like those who we are now inclined to defame and condemn. We also were just like them and would still be like them if it were not for the saving grace of God, which alone delivered us. I didn't deliver myself. Jesus did. He receives honor and glory, not me. There should be no sense in which I am being perceived as a puffed up person to those who don't know the Lord. Well, you ought to be a Christian. Then you could be like me. That should never be my testimony. should never be a word about me. He says you have a new identity. Because I once was that, I can have solidarity with and compassion for the most depraved people in the world. Because I was once there, I know the way their day in and day out goes. I can have solidarity with them and say, I remember being there. And the Lord Jesus came and shone a light in my heart. I remember being there in that bondage. I remember what it was like to be alone and have to fight for myself. I remember what it was like. But let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Having to set aside your own own temptation to want to assert something about who you are or your rights. I know, brother, what it's like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ 
and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's not talking about reconciling relationships in the church. He's talking about people in the world, lost people that you know, that need to hear the gospel, that need to know the truth about life, that there is a God and He will judge the world. He will judge sin. And it will be exact and complete. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the beauty and the glory of the Gospel. We who could not change ourselves have been changed because of the Lord Jesus. Because I remember that I was lost in sin. I can look at sinners with compassion and not hatred. I can curb my own tongue and sometimes hold my own opinions, give them to the Lord and say, Lord, give me your heart for lost people as you had a heart for me. I want to end by sharing some verses with you from a hymn by Sovereign Grace Music. The hymn is called, All I Have is Christ. Some of you probably know this. It says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me. To the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. And the refrain of that song Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And may this last verse be a commitment of your own heart. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose and let my soul forever be. My only boast is you. May the world, a world that desperately needs to see Jesus, see Jesus in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for your beautiful word. For the good word of the gospel that we need to hear. We need to hear the truth that grace is available for us. In time of need, we we need to hear the truth that we are not alone. You have not left your children as orphans in this world. And Lord, I pray by the power of your grace and the power that raised Jesus from the dead that you would help your people to know victory over sin. Victory over feeling alone. Victory over sometimes being alone. There are times in our experience in this world when no other human can walk with us where you walk with us. You take us to the valley of the shadow of death and you promise to lead us through it. And I pray, Lord, for your people today that they would know hope and deliverance and joy because of Jesus. And I know that there are some who are going through deep, dark trials even right now. And coming to church today was more than just something on their calendar. It took effort and diligence. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs, that you would be close to them, that you would fill them with your spirit and that you would minister the sweet truth of your promises to their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond together to God's Word and continue to worship by singing hymn number 575, Soldiers of Christ Arise.
may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for the reminder even in that song that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never no never no never forsake it is from that promise that we give in delight and joy and in worship to you today the living God we bring our tithes and our offerings and we lay them at your feet with joy knowing that you will be the one to provide for us you won't forsake us and Lord we have seen that in many ways not only in our own families but also here at Lebanon For many years you have been faithful to this church, to many generations of people. And we say thank you and we praise you today for your faithfulness. And we pray, Lord, that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this county and state and throughout the world, that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. the benediction of our Lord from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Amen.